0: Tangent, to break off suddenly from a line or train of thought, pursue another course, Webster's.
1: Welcome to Parallel Lines, the DC Comics Tangent Universe podcast. This is a show dedicated to celebrating the Tangent Universe-related comics published by DC, wherein a host of the medium's finest creators brought forth a brand new universe populated by brand new characters with very familiar names. This is episode 30 of the show, and to celebrate such a milestone, we're going to do the same thing we've done every episode, and that is to look at a comic book. Specifically Superman's Reign number eleven, which is the penultimate issue in a maxi series from two thousand eight that brought the tangent characters together with the DC with their DC Universe counterparts for a good old fashioned comic book fight club. My name is Michael Bradley, the guy who probably now owes Gene Hendrix a royalty check. And with me, as always, is my co host and good friend Sean Engel. How you doing, Sean?
2: I'm doing well. See, oddly enough, this Fight Club we can actually talk about. So yes. that's kind of that's kind of a nice contrast to the other Fight <laughs> Club, which you can't talk about. Uh, Thankfully, Brad Pitt won't be showing up to punch you in the ear or something, uh, or get punched in the ear, which was kind of upsetting. I guess I don't know.
1: I'm, I'm glad. You, I'm, I'm I'm glad Brad Pitt's not showing up.
2: Yeah. Have you seen? Have you ever seen that movie? No. Did you ever watch that movie? No.
1: Uh, you know, I've seen parts of it and I I know about it but I've never
2: actually sat down and watched the whole thing you know I, I remember a friend of mine telling me I've got to watch this and how amazing it was and I was like it's all gritty and dark and it's got a really bizarre ending um, the guy I guess who wrote it Chuck Palanichuk or I can't pronounce his last name has it, got a really sort of twisted view on things and it was interesting, but it's I, I I don't hold in the sort of high esteem that a lot of people do. It kind of sits in the realm of um, oh, what's his name, the Coen Brother movie, The Big Lebowski, where it's like oh. every everyone lauds that movie. And I'm like, yeah, it was okay. I'd prefer you know Fargo or The Hudsucker Proxy or even Blood Simple over a lot of those movies, but you know that's just me.
1: Yeah. Uh, but we have got speaking of Gene Hendricks, we have got some email to get into. And the first one today is from Gene, and this is in response to uh, Superman's Reign number 8, which would have been episode uh, 27. We're going to go with 27.
2: Sure, do that. Okay.
1: But Gene writes, Sean and Michael, I agree with you guys that there really isn't a lot going on in this issue. It probably could have been dropped and not affected the overall story that much, which makes me wonder why it was there at all. Did Dan Jurgens originally want a shorter series and DC made him pad it out to 12 issues? Not having seen the art beyond the cover, I couldn't comment on that, but if both of you have a problem with it, it must be a jarring change. I do appreciate Juergens writing the two points of view as being equally valid and leaving it to the reader to make up their own mind. It is a bit undercut a little later with the I don't want to harm the president, but I'm going to blow up the building he's most likely in scene, though. <laughs> Sigh. Gene.
2: Yeah, that's, that is kind of a problem. I, As we addressed on the show, the president isn't the only person residing in the White House. Right. So if you're taking just the president or even the president and the first family out of the White House and taking them captive, then blowing up the White House, you're still killing off a lot of people. Mm-hmm. I, I would say at least dozens, if maybe not hundreds of people, depending upon what time it is. There could be people visiting the White House. It could be open for touring. So, yeah, it definitely does belie his fact that he's not wanting to do any harm to people when he goes up and blows a giant you know, state capitol building. Mm-hmm.
1: But as we saw in the next issue, maybe he didn't blow it up. Maybe he just kind of damaged it a little
2: bit. I don't know. Yeah.
1: But either way, you know, there were potential uh, injuries or casualties in, in the action. So Yeah, well,
2: and, and even if you you demolish it in some way. if there are people who are around who are unsuspecting it, there's always that possibility of you know collateral damage, rubble falling on people, what have you. so it's it, it's one of the it's un, in comic book physics and comic book uh, sort of the the reality of them, you can get away with this kind of stuff in the real life, a building gets destroyed and it's unexpected. there is going to be people surrounding that that are going to be hurt if not killed which right. is always uncomfortable but uh we also have a, if you want to go to the next one we've got a website comment from Jadine. this one is in reference to episode 26 of parallel lines and Jadeen writes in it's like going from george perez to anyone else she says that is the perfect tagline for the rest of the artists in this crossover. This is exactly how I felt when I read the rest of the issues. And now I guess you guys can see what I meant by some of the uh, failings. However, in Wes Craig's defense, he is a much better. He's much better than the third artist. Hmm. The third artist suffered from a lackluster inker who made his art look odd to be polite. Wes Craig, at least, looks as hurried or frenzied as the story asked for. As a, I'm sorry, as the story asked for it. The next issue is a good indicator of this. Another defense that I've always believed is that Wes's art looks rushed because at the same time, DC likely jumped the job on him on the last minute. I have some sketches of his studies of the tangent characters from when his blog was still public, and they were good. They looked much better than what he gave us, and showed a deep impact to understand how the characters worked, plus linking them back to the specific motifs or symbols. For example, Superman was linked back to the Samson Moses motif, I believe, while Leah's symbol was designed to resemble a son, and she was linked back to the impish pixie trope. Hmm, that's interesting. And, you know,
1: I'd be I, interested I, in seeing those sketches.
2: Definitely. Uh, Jadine, if you are listening, if you have a link or if you know Google might have an archive of his uh, website, if you could link that to us, that'd be awesome. She says, uh, so when I saw these sketches and then see his work, I just feel bad. Also, Batman Blue and Batman Red left, made me laugh so hard. I scared people in the house. Thank you. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad that someone's laughing at my commentary because God knows anywhere <laughs> around my house, it's always met with, you know, sort of dull surprise. <laughs> I do wish Batman, knowing that Laurie was the Joker, could have been built upon a bit more. I really liked how they worked together with Laurie sh- showing her conflict on using guns when she never did this Joker. Uh, the contrast to DCU Joker. Also, like you said, showing how she might not have been on her game after 10 years. But we got something at least. I think the comics says it, but Plastic Man's new body is because of William's magic. It's some iffy comics thing, but he's crafted a spell where Plaza's body comes back and nothing else is ever mentioned about it again. Not how or what's behind it or how will Plaza keep it up beyond this encounter. Comics okay and and yeah and that's another thing uh, it's uh, I I don't can't remember if it's in this issue or the next issue that we get something about uh, Sir William having to maintain his magical force enacting in, in the, the batman suit that's the next mm-hmm. issue so, so that's something you know how can if this is his magic and if he's maintaining that to keep Plastic Man alive or, you know unless it's a spell which you know you do it once and then it's it's already right there so maybe that's the case anyway Jadine finishes up saying okay last bit since this was getting long the cover by Andy Tong who did some of the rest of the history backups in addition to this one it's a great cover just because it's the two Superman and I love it for that now here's an interesting fact Issue 11's cover, which we're going to be covering today, was drawn originally by Tong, but for some reason DC didn't go ahead with it and decided to have the same layout and idea printed, drawn by Ivan Reese instead. The only time Reese draws for this, and it's a reproduction, that's sad. But the cover does look better as opposed to Tong's art. And um, I guess we'll get to the cover once we get to it, but yeah, if this was basically Andy Tong's work, and it's sort of Reese just sort of redrawing it. I'm gonna say I, I'm pretty impressed with Andy Tong stuff. I mean, when he took over for art for the backup stories, the artwork did kind of slip a little from Fernando Praserran's work, but I don't think it was bad. But if if he actually gave sort of the outline or kind of like breakdowns of what would be going on on the cover for this one, that's that's actually pretty impressive.
1: Yeah, I had a note about Tong's cover in in my notes when we talked about the cover. We can go ahead and do it here uh, when the issue was originally solicited it came out you know how they released the images as well mm-hmm. and he had done a cover very similar i'm going to post it here in the window for you so you can it's okay. a, it's a really small image but you can kind of see um it, it's basically the same uh concept as this cover with the superman the harvey reaching his hand out and the dc characters kind of springing from it but why they redid it with ivan Re- i mean i love ivan rice or reese but, yeah, but why they didn't go with the original uh cover that he did, I'm not sure, but
2: yeah, I can kind of, you know, it, uh, I agree it is kind of small, but I can see what's going on. It's similar. Uh you've got more of an image of the uh, tangent Superman. Uh he's looking more da- it looks like he's looking down towards the characters where they are. Mm-hmm. Uh it's yeah, I don't see why that would have been a problem for the cover. Um you know, I Unfortunately, because it is kind of small, I'm not getting any of the detail of it. But yeah, it looks good.
1: But thank you very much, Jadine for writing in. I, you raise a lot of good points. The, okay. You know, and I, I guess we'll get more into this um, next episode when we kind of do a, a a recap of the whole series. The series has had some issues here and there, but I think overall it's been pretty good. And and I don't know, I, we've been more of a fan of of Carlos Magno. Uh, Than it seems you have, but you know
2: yeah i haven't i haven 't had aside from Wes Craig and his sort of jarring transition from Jamal lagel i haven 't had any problems with the art in the book so far, but Jadine, thank you for writing in you know that 's some, some good discussion we had on the show and i, I 'm glad that you 're still enjoying it despite the fact that the artwork may have you know led you to believe otherwise mm-hmm. I guess
1: and hopefully our uh, insightful Commentary is <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, boosting, so
1: I, boosting yeah. your enjoyment of the issues.
2: Exactly. Well, speaking of the issues, do we want to go ahead and head into uh, coverage of this one? Definitely. All right. This one is Tangent Superman's Reign, number 11. The cover date was March 2009 with a release date of January 21st, 2009. Cover price, again, was two ninety nine in the United States, and the title was Tangent Superman's Reign, Chapter 11. Dan Juergens was the writer, Carlos Bagno, or, yeah, Magno was the penciler, Julio Ferreira was inker, letter was Steve Wands, colorist was Canella Tripp, the cover art was, as we mentioned before, by Ivan Reis, Joe Prado, and Rod Reis, the editor was Adam Schlagman, and the Tangent Universe was created by Dan Juergens. On the deck of one of the grounded naval carriers, a coalition of the greatest heroes from two universes discuss their plan to rescue the missing world leaders and take down the Tangent Superman. Sensing the time for chit-chat is over, Batman Blue snaps the heroes into action saying, The plan is in place. Let's move. Leading to a two-page splash that puts most Legion Legion of Superheroes' roll calls to shame. Superman is concerned that they still don't know the whereabouts of his Tangent counterpart, or the hostages... And Batman Blue says that's why they have Lola Dent, Tangent Superman's ex-wife, searching for him. But even her Miracle-induced powers are having trouble tracking him down. Fortunately, the heroes have an ace in the hole. Meanwhile, at the Fortress of Solitude, the Tangent Superman is setting his pieces into play. Knowing the heroes will attack him, and that the recruited villains might betray him, Harvey plans on pitting them against each other, and regardless of who lives or dies, his foes will eventually be taken out. Elsewhere, Poison Ivy and Scarecrow are holding Vixen hostage, strapped to a
0: neural neutralizer,
2: to Sure Freak's reference, which prevents her from communicating her location to her teammates. But the tangent Superman orders the villains to release her, which seems kind of foolish, as she elbows Scarecrow in the throat and contacts the heroes with her location. Getting the message, Batman, who has a plan for everything, has Tangent Green Lantern teleport the Flashes to Vixen's location to do some recon. They arrive outside the fortress and encounter Icicle and Mr. Freeze, two obvious villains who would be outside on the North Pole. Leah takes the two out, but then the Flashes get mind-wambied by the creepy Dr. Psycho, who tries to get kind of rapey with the female Flash. You Too bad for him that Leah's made of flight and wasn't affected by the psychic attack. Her disorientation was a ruse to let to allow the rest of the heroes to teleport in and begin the epic battle of epicness between the heroes and villains. While all of the fighty McFightenstein, copyright Andrew Leyland, 2011, all rights reserved, is going on, Batman Blue, Manhunter, and Lola are trying to find the location of Tangent Superman to no avail. But as the heroes are wrapping up the battle, Lola senses something terrible, something that will result in the death of millions. You see, there was a time when the Tangent Superman was a reasonable man who only wanted to help his world. But when he fought and defeated the Ultra-Humanite, he realized that he had the power to accomplish greater things, leading to his conquest of the Tangent Earth. However, what wasn't known was that Harvey didn't destroy the Ultra-Humanite, he only imprisoned it. And now he has control over it, and has released it on New Earth. Uh Uh-oh. Yep, <laughs> yeah, that was for me. That was a great cliffhanger ending. And we have mentioned prior to this, we've had some really good cliffhanger endings, what with Power Girl showing up in the guise of the Atom. Mm-hmm. You know, the the sort of interesting ending where we saw Batman meet with the Outsiders, and then the just a couple of episodes ago where we saw the ending with the super villains. You know, it's all. The one thing that this story has done, it's come with really compelling finals, final bits that have really made you want to read the next episode. Right. So I, I I can't say anything negative about the story. Well, I might say <laughs> a nitpicky things, but, but the ending is definitely one of those oh-crap moments. Yeah.
1: Um, you know, overall, I thought this was a, a, a pretty good issue. We're definitely... Into the thick of things now, and Jurgens isn't letting off the accelerator, as evidenced by the freaking huge cliffhanger. Um, but bringing Lola back, last issue was pretty big, and this just ups the stakes even more.
2: Mm-hmm. And I think I, I think having the villain that ultimately was the one thing that almost led to the destruction of the tangent universe being unleashed in our world, and really. No one having an idea of how to take, you know, to to deal with it, is going to be one of those things that's going to really rock the boat with the uh, with the Earth Earth One characters with our DC superheroes. So, I'm looking forward to find out how all this works out. Um, yeah, I'm I'm impressed with the story so far.
1: Yeah, I, I will say, and, and this shouldn't really be construed as. As, as critical critical of a comment as it will probably sound but in some ways I feel like as good as, as as much as I enjoyed the issue we were maybe thrown into the melee a bit too fast and I know I'll have more comments about the pacing next issue and I kind of want to save a lot of that for next issue um, but it, it just seems like we had the two issues there two or three issues where not a lot happened and now boom we're into the the, the big fight and yeah we're getting towards the end of the the if I can speak today, we're getting towards the end of the series, so we need to start wrapping things up. But I don't know; it just seems like we went from zero to fifty-five in a couple pages.
2: Yeah, yeah, it it does seem like it doesn't seem so much as like you know those. I I want to relate it back to the sort of early era of the Fantastic Four, where the last three pages, well, oh, we've got to wrap up the story. Here we go, <laughs> right. or or a parallel on DC. Would be you know the John Byrne Superman where <laughs> on the last page, that. yeah, yeah, you know, on the last page, it's like oh we've got to wrap everything up. Here is here is the solution for this, but um we we knew that there was going to be some sort of epic battle, especially when last issue we saw the supervillains assembled. So that
1: was another good cliffhanger.
2: Yeah. So uh, exactly, this is I think you can't have an epic crossing of worlds without some sort of epic battle and. Yes, you, maybe, it, maybe it would have helped the storyline if this would have happened a little early and we could have seen a more buildup because everything seems to be crammed in this last issue, which which the battle isn't necessarily a bad thing. But if they could have strung it out a little more and maybe made the stakes feel a little higher, maybe that could have accentuated the, uh, the story a bit more.
1: Yeah. Uh, but if you're ready, we're going to take a – we'll go ahead and take a break. And Sounds good go back and, and get into the, the details of the issue.
2: All right, then. In Country has re-upped for another tour, and we've been reassigned. Now you can find this complete look at Marvel Comics' The Nom on the Two True Freaks Network. So join me, Tom Panneries, for In Country a podcast covering Marvel Comics The Nom every two weeks at 2TrueFreaks.com
0: Once, there was a civilization in the endless reaches of the universe much like ours there once existed a planet known as Krypton but with greater intelligence A planet that burned like a green star in the distant heavens. Greater powers. There, civilization was far advanced, and it brought forth a race of supermen, whose mental and physical powers were developed to the absolute peak of human perfection. And a greater capacity for good. But there came a day when giant quakes threatened to destroy Krypton forever. In one tragic moment, that world was destroyed. One of the planet's leading scientists, sensing the approach of doom, placed his infant son in a small rocket ship and sent it hurtling in the direction of the Earth, just as Krypton exploded. But there was one survivor. A passing motorist found the uninjured child and took it to an orphanage. Because of the wisdom and compassion of Jor-El. Because he knew the human race had the capacity for goodness. He sent us his only son. As the years went by and the child grew to maturity, he found himself possessed of amazing physical powers. His name is Kal-El. Faster than a speeding bullet! He will call himself... Clark Kent. More than a locomotive, able to leave tall buildings a single pound. But the world will know him as Superman. Look up in the sky—it's Superman! Join Jay Marcus of the Podwits and his special guest each month as they explore the history of the Man of Steel. Only on the Planet Podcast, part of the Podwits Podcast Network. Log on to Superman.Podwits.com for details.
1: already talked about it a little bit, but you want to go into more de- detail about the cover?
2: Yeah, sure. I, I, I'm I not going to say this is the best cover of the series, but it is one of the most dynamic. You've got the most number of characters I think we've seen on the cover. Usually it was just uh, the two counterpart, Tangent, and you know New Earth or Earth One characters on the cover. This one, it's really good. I love the sort of Kirby crackle going along all the characters look dynamic. Superman looks great. Uh, the tangent of Superman looks good. It's, it's Ivan Reese, Joe Prado and Rob Reese. Uh, they're, I think they're probably at the top of their game right now. They're, they're some of the big names in DC and yeah, for them to get pulled in to do this cover. It's, it's really dynamics, really stunning.
1: Yeah. I, I love this cover. Um, maybe not my favorite of the, of the series, but definitely, uh, a great one. I, I, I'm an Reese, Ivan Reese Mark to begin with, but man, all the characters just look really great. I love the Superman is there kind of front and center, looking awesome with the big chest and the big S and the cape flowing behind him. And uh, the tangent Superman looks fantastic, and the coloring is great, and it's just, it's just everything.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think you can look at this issue or look at this cover and find really anything wrong with it. No. I, it's, it's all just really well and it, it it sells the idea of the the tangent superman holding sway over these characters that he's he's essentially got them all in the palm of his hand yes so i mean literally he does so not yeah. and figuratively as well yeah there's for you paul spadaro <laughs> <laughs> he's not listening to this oh uh,
1: maybe someday who knows uh turning inside page one i I didn't notice this until I started doing my notes, but I like that we've got these groups of heroes talking, and then Manhunter, who is narrating the book, is kind of mingling throughout the crowd while she narrates. So mm-hmm. it's not just meaningless narration. It's, it's almost like these are her thoughts as she you know, surveys the land and acclimates herself to what's happening and, and what is happening.
2: Yeah, and I like that it's actually seems to be structured pretty well. Uh, it's manhunter walking on the uh, everyone's on the deck of the ship, and it's manhunter walking through. And if you look at where the panels are or where the characters are, it's it's got a flow to it. Yeah, she, she you know it's not that you know at one time here's this group of characters and the next scene they're in a completely different place. It, it it's it would be like if we're following her walking through the scene and hearing these various conversations. And I like that the conversations aren't all about you know what's our plan? What are we going to do? You know, we've got conversations, you know, with the Green Lanterns of our Earth One talking to the tangent Green Lantern and you know what their earth is like and you know Leah talking to Wally asking if she can stay here because she enjoys this earth so much. You know
1: it, it 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 helps Just black lightning being a dad
2: mm-hmm, yes so it's it, it's nice that we're getting this sort of confab of everyone and having these discussions but it feels real and i i like manhunter being sort of our i guess our point of view character drawing us all through this it's mm-hmm. really great pages, um I, oh, sorry, yeah pages ahead. two pages two and three was what i was going to
1: yeah me too
2: um It's a good splash. Uh, There's everyone there, but man, there's just a lot of text piece. You know, you know, it's having to describe everyone. Um,
1: Well, uh, Steve Wands got his got his. uh, He earned his pay for this
2: book, I guess. So, (laughs) Um, the Adam looks. Now it could be the fact that it's just been ten years, and supposedly the Adam's supposed to look a little older. But the Adam looks a little different than usual. Uh, Batman's got his. uh, Flare of the cape thing, so I can only assume he's going to cross <laughs> the arms afterwards. Uh, but it's it's good, but I don't think it's 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 not outstanding. I, it's it's attempting so hard to be like a George Perez, and it comes off for me. It comes off as a decent two page splash, but it's just not so epic. Where I'm like, oh, I'd love to have this as a poster. Mm-hmm. I think maybe. I think maybe the sort of pinkish background kind of belies it. I, I don't know what other color they could go for, but yeah. What are your thoughts on it?
1: I I think J.D. is onto something, and that the inking is hurting the pencils because the the layout of the page is is great. Mm-hmm. But you can just tell it just seems a little rough around the edges once you get into the details of stuff.
2: Yeah, I could probably see that. I think. Yeah, I I I might buy that because there has been a bit of wonkiness with uh, having a new inker Ferrera come in. Uh, maybe that is the case. I mean, Superman looks great. Mm-hmm. I think Superman looks good. Uh, Batman looks good. But then you get to some of the other characters. Power Girl over in the corner looks a little off. The Atom, like I said, looks a little off. So it's it's hit and miss. Uh, maybe yeah. that that could be the case. The inking causing it some problems.
1: It's good, but not great. Yeah. yeah. So I I did notice that Lola's um codpiece for lack of a better word, I apologize, <laughs> looks more under control this issue. It it looks more like a design element on the costume rather than a big piece of like armor.
2: Yeah. It doesn't look like it's sort of popping up because in that uh in that last issue where we saw her, it, it was very especially that first page splash of her it, <laughs> it was very it was a very uncomfortable symbol.
1: Yeah. And and seeing it here, I wonder if it isn't meant to evoke the the Venus symbol, possibly like, to represent the female gender.
2: Possibly, you know, it, 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 if it had more of the cross around her around like her abdomen or lower abdomen or waist, I think that would have worked better. But uh, because it does have the sort of arrow, the pointed thing, it looks more like the the male symbol, yeah. which is, I don't know. Maybe we're reading too much into it. Maybe we should stop thinking about it.
1: Given where the arrow's pointing, maybe we should, yes. Yes.
2: <laughs> um, the next page, page four, uh, panel five, I'm like, okay, yes, Leah. They think of everything. You know, everything is thought out and planned. You want to know why? Because this is late 2000s Batman. He always has a plan for everything. Yeah. So just just go with it.
1: Just be lucky he didn't say, I'm going to throw a batarang at it.
2: So. <laughs>
1: It's it's weird to me that it's the DC characters, Guy here and Superman back on the first page, that are questioning if they can trust Lola, not the tangent characters who you'd think would be more skeptical.
2: Yeah, well, I, we don't really know what kind of – I guess what kind of relationship they had with Lola, whether Lola was working specifically with the tangent Superman or whether at the time – she was, you know, at the time Superman was starting up his sort of reign and trying to turn the world into a more, a, a pla a better place. Maybe she was speaking out with him and then for some reason she died then or supposedly died then. So maybe the perception of Lola isn't in line with their perception of the tangent of Superman.
1: That's
2: so. a good point. Um, moving on to page five. I do like the fact that Harvey's, not an idiot and he's like the reason I chose these villains to aid me is to help take down these heroes that are supposed to be coming against me and even though I have them on my side chances are it's basically throwing the pawns against the opposing side and whoever loses he's going to win Yeah. so I like that idea
1: It's he's using them as cannon fodder and it's absolutely brilliant
2: Mm-hmm. It's it, it, it's a, yeah you're exactly right it's a brilliant move He's he, because I'm certain he assumes that once he it, even if the villains are able to defeat the heroes he's going to then have to deal with the villains who are going to try and usur- usurp his power right. so pitting them against each other it's allowing them to knock each other out in the melee and then he just has to come in and sweep up the scraps mm-hmm. so it's good planning on his part
1: we talked in an earlier episode about the possibility that Harvey was slowly losing control or becoming more unstable, and I, I really feel like we were onto something, because the Harvey as portrayed on this page isn't that calm, cool, and collected Superman we saw in his own title or even the beginning of this series.
2: Mm-hmm. And you can kind of see, it's kind of shown through the art, how he's got the the sort of purple eyes Mm -hmm. and the Kirby crackle coming off that that he's using his power a lot more he's not just he's not just thinking rationally about these things he's having to exert himself to get this so I I think you have a point there that he's so concerned about maintaining order with this that he's using far too much power to keep this going so it does it does sort of give you the idea that maybe he's losing it a little bit um, I was going to say on the next page just a little thing the scarecrow is always a creepy sort of character and I think it's even creepier down at the bottom of that last panel where you see the mouth <laughs> as uh, Vixen chokes him in the throat underneath the mask uh-huh. that's all kinds of Weird. disturbing
1: yeah. yeah I I don't have any comments about this page it's, it's Vixen
2: so. Yeah. <laughs> okay, hold on, hold on, one second.
1: I thought your dog was just voicing its its displeasure <laughs> about Vixen as well.
2: Well, I'm certain you know my dog isn't very happy with Vixen shape changing and all that. I wonder if Vixen has a Jack Russell Terrier totem? Maybe. Uh, uh, never no.
1: know. All right. So moving on to page eight. I thought the global warming comments were interesting, and I like that Jurgens is paying attention to the little differences between the worlds.
2: Yeah, I I had a comment on that as as well. Um however I thought, you know, that, that that's a great idea that on on the tangent earth that Superman was able to use these global neutralizers to stop um global warming, which is a good thing. But I thought to myself, I wonder what the global neutralizers are powered by to stop them. And I thought, oh, it's probably by puppies and kittens, and that's why he's evil. Mm-hmm. You know, but you know, there's always got to be there's always got to be a trade off. You know, hey, we've got an ozone layer, but you know, powered by puppies and kittens. <laughs> Too dark? Yeah, that may have been that. <laughs> Let's move on. Okay. Uh, page nine. I don't remember Doctor Psycho being in the lineup in that last issue where we saw the the sort of secret society of supervillains there, um. or, or you know. I rem- I remember all the rest of them, but I don't remember creepy dot. Maybe I just wasn't looking.
1: No, he's not there. Well, we don't see him. Maybe he's hiding behind.
2: Well, he is. Lex he is, boot or something. He he was he was kind of diminutive. So yes. yeah, he was. He, maybe he wasn't just out, out front and center. Or once again, channeling the Scott Gardner. Uh, you know, trying to get Scott Gardner to listen. Maybe he was working at his job in the ATM. Don't don't ask about that. It's 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 patently <laughs> ridiculous. <laughs> okay. I, I'll tell you about it off air. Okay. Um let's see. Uh
1: page ten, we have another nice splash of the heroes emerging from the portal.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, again, it's 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 really good art and it's you know, I, I, I can't really say anything negative about it. It's good art. Uh it's not I I like the way Leah looks. I think down at the bottom I think she looks yeah. really good. They've got her a lot better than I've seen her before. But of course, Superman's leading the way, which he should. And uh, Superman looks great.
1: Mr. Superman. Mr. Superman. <laughs> which I liked.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, again, it kind of belies the fact that the 10 years have passed, but Leah's still being sort of the respectful, like almost teenage type uh-huh. character. You know, I don't want to say arrested youth, but uh, it kind of feels that way, but I guess not really in a negative way. Right. It's just kind of a, a polite way. Um, I guess the next page, page twelve. Or is that page eleven? Uh, they've got the
1: the big battle scene is like the three quarter page battle yep, scene three is, quarter is page. eleven.
2: Yeah. yeah, that's eleven then. Um, that's good. But there is just I think this would have been better if they could have spread it out a bit longer because it feels really cramped at times Mm -hmm. there's a lot of neat stuff going on Uh, you've got people fighting each other that wouldn't that you wouldn't necessarily think should be fighting each other i like it yeah but i think it i think it's a disservice that it's all crammed into like a three-quarter page splash right you know i think this could have been better served if it were a a two-page splash but then you know you're missing a few more story elements i don't know if that would have worked out so
1: well, you've got so many characters, and you've got the villains of the DC Universe fighting the heroes of the DC Universe and the Tangent Universe. And then there's uh, Lola's in there as well, and the super or Harvey is in there. And like you said, it's just so much to cram into so few pages and so small space that um, you, I, I don't think you get the full impact and, and weight of what's happening.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does kind of minimize the, the threat level since it's all just compacted in here, you it doesn't have the impact that you would think that a larger, more uh spaced out image would have.
1: I just noticed this. What's uh there where Plastic Man is? What are those black like shadow demony things coming out?
2: Are those from I'm trying to think. I don't see Orion in here. Um,
1: oh, you think those are like
2: you know, It's uh, maybe they're maybe they're from uh, oh, what's his name? Felix Faust. Maybe Faust is putting oh, those oh, things out. Oh,
1: you're right because he's because kind of his hand is pointing that direction. Okay,
2: pointing towards uh, them, and so maybe that's where those are coming. You're from. You're absolutely right. Okay,
1: okay. Now, uh, I, let's. I really didn't have too much to say um, about these pages. It's just you know some good lines of dialogue, but. A lot of fighting so it's it's hard to have a lot of commentary there
2: yeah the the next couple of pages I'm like it was it was interesting how they use atypical people to to take people out you've got John Stewart trapping the parasite in a in a green lantern bubble right. uh, it's not uncommon for a black canary to take out uh, Merlin Uh the Joker and Batman Red fighting, that's kind of cool, I guess. And, of course, the Joker's upset that there's more Batman around. Uh, Guy Gardner and Hal helping out, taking out Lex Luthor. Now, uh, Power Girl punching uh, the Scarecrow, that's that's a bit over the top, you would think. I mean, eh, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> okay, we'll go with that. Um, but then, uh, I don't really have any notes until the... Uh, until the end.
1: Yep, that same here.
2: Yeah, page seventeen, where we get the reveal of the Ultra Humanite, and it's like, oh crap! <laughs> yeah, and uh, and it was built up to the to the point where Lola finally figures out what's going on, and she's got this expression of shock on her face, and you don't get the final reveal until this thing where you see the Ultra Humanite and all his you know electric you know glory just towering everyone. I, I think that's, it's great. And then of course you get the line, the ultra humide is alive and working for Harvey. A, a really good cliffhanger ending. I yeah, I can't say anything. Like I said before, I can't say anything negative about it.
1: Yeah. Harvey has just completely lost it in an emotional and mental, well not mental, but emotional capacity at this point. And the Harvey, as we saw him in the original waves, the, his own book and then JLA I, I just don't see him as the kind of guy that would go this far. Mm-hmm. But.
2: Yeah, it, it does kind of... You know, his obsession to maintain order and to provide for not only the people of his Earth, but this Earth now, and that he's being rejected has caused him to basically lose it. And you kind of have to wonder him imprisoning the ultra-humanite If in the original story when he did that, if that was a way that he was trying to be merciful and – or if it was a way for him trying to plan for a contingency where if he needed it, he could bring it out and unleash it on people who were trying to oppose him. So,
1: Or it could uh, be there's no way to actually destroy the ultra humanite
2: that's that's a good idea as well you know you couldn't you couldn't destroy him so you had to encase him in this right. prison and you know the, he was just fortunate enough to be able to manipulate him in some way. Well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that now,
1: let me ask you one more question. You had mentioned in an email that you felt they telegraphed the ultra humanites return
2: Oh well, they telegraphed it a, a, a little bit. Well, I don't know I don't know if I said that they telegraphed you oh, know okay. I maybe I, maybe uh, I, you know,
1: misunderstood you.
2: No, I the, earlier in the issue like uh, page 14 or something where they're fighting and at the bottom yeah it's it's the bottom of the two page splash where everyone's fighting and Batman asks Lila says what's Harvey up to and he says he he brought him here he's going to unleash him and I was like oh no <laughs> I know what he's oh, going okay. to unleash that's where that's where I got the idea that you know they sort of telegraphed the Oh. And it so, uh, but that was the end of the good story in the book. <laughs> what, what. Now we've got history 11, History lesson, chapter 11. Are you ready for this one? Of course, you're not
1: as, as ready as I'm going to be. I think. All right.
2: Once again, the writer for this one was Ron Mars, the penciler was Andy Tong, the anchor was Mark McKenna, colorist, Dom Reagan, letterer, Steve Wands, and editor, Adam Schlagman. <sighs> brandishing her rambo replica knife which she bought from museumreplicas.com sexy workout gear jenny lynn hayden tells transformed ooze monster guy clayface gardner to stay back of course guy doesn't causing jenny to plunge the blade into his chest stomach whatever jenny asks how guy could have known all that info on the superheroes and then suddenly she has a v8 moment and realizes that he was working for the superman all along guy gives her a well duh, and wraps his hand around her head, sucking what little brains she had up there out. <laughs> Crisis averted. Guy contacts the tangent Superman on his handy-dandy detective chimp pin that was on his chest the whole time like a worthless Chekhov's gun, and tells him that the deed is done. Superman praises Guy and lets him know that he is in charge while he takes care of some business in an alternate universe transforming himself into Jenny, probably because he wants to take advantage of what's underneath her skippy workout gear, Guy comments that he won't allow this earth to be compromised in his absence. Now, if you'll excuse him, he'll be in his bunk. Uh,
1: the, the Jenny Lynn Hayden character has just been plaguing you across your podcast lately, hasn't it?
2: Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, Jenny Lynn Hayden has kind of been sort of the downfall of what happened in just one of the guys. And here she's now just a kind of ditzy assassin who gets her brains sucked out by slimy ooze Guy Gardner. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know who I... Ha- I'm certain it's the one in the Green Lantern books who I'm more annoyed with, but yeah, this one doesn't do me any favors.
1: The heck of these backups is... are... the heck of it is... these aren't badly written. I mean, you know, Mars had set up this framing sequence throughout the past ten issues and wrapped it up with kind of a clever twist i guess at having the the person who you thought was going to be the victim end up being uh, the the perpetrator of the whole thing but the the framing sequence as a whole just seems unnecessary mhm like we said last episode i can't help but think these would have been better served with just a series of like secret files pages or or even unconnected two and three page sequences that focused on just one character per um they they did need something to help flesh out those characters for people who hadn't read the original issues, and it served that purpose perfectly fine. But I don't know, just the the framing sequence is not needed.
2: No, I I have to agree with you. I think I think we came across something that would have really benefited the book is if they were to do a sort of who's who type entry right. and give you know the backstory. Ron Mars could have. Even expanded upon the characters and their motivations and what happened with them even more than he did in these little vignettes, in doing a who's who sort of write up on each of these characters. And then we wouldn't be left with this sort of silly fight between Mighty Morphin Clayface guy and, you know, haughty, sexy Jenny Lynn Hayden. <sighs> It's just kind of... It, I agree, Ron Mars didn't do a bad job writing this, and Andy Tong didn't do a bad job drawing this. Even Fernando and prior to this, didn't do a bad job with it. But it just seemed kind of unnecessary and could have been handled in a better way, mm-hmm. I think. But at least we won't have one for the uh, next episode, so that's always good.
1: That's a good thought. Yes, next episode we'll be looking... We'll be wrapping up the series with number 12, and it's a full-page... Uh, or a full what's
2: my words here? Full 22 page? Yes. Full issue?
1: It's a full issue story. There we go. All right. I'm glad you're here.
2: Uh, Uh, Every once in a while I can provide something intelligent. (laughs) Every once in a while.
1: Well, it's been 30 30 episodes, so.
2: Yeah, it it had to happen at least once.
1: Yeah. Uh, But thank you all very much for listening. If you have questions or comments want to tell us your own thoughts on the giant purple snot monster feel free to write in. Uh, the email address is tangent at greatcrypton.com, and we'll be sure to read that on a, probably not next episode, but, but on a future episode for sure. But until then, uh, thank you very much for listening to Parallel Lines, the DC Comics Tangent Universe podcast, and we will talk to you next time. Bye, everyone. just finished listening to Parallel Lines, the DC Comics Tangent Universe podcast, hosted by me,
2: Michael Bradley, and me, Sean Ingle. The show can be downloaded from a variety of places, most notably Michael's website, greatcrypton.com, where you can find show notes, cover images, and a section for leaving comments about the episodes.
1: It also can be found on iTunes by searching for Parallel Lines. And if you happen to use iTunes, please take some time out to leave a review maybe even a five-star one every review helps more people find out about the show
2: the show is also on facebook where you can like us and get updates when new shows are posted plus images plot elements and general discussion about the books can be found there as well
1: want to send feedback about the episode send us an email at tangent at greatcrypton.com all feedback is warmly welcomed and we will definitely read your comments on the show
2: When Michael and I aren't doing shows about alternate DC Comics history, we're busy doing tons of other geeky stuff on the internet. For instance, Michael does a podcast about Superman and Batman team-ups, cleverly titled Superman and Batman.
1: And Sean hosts a number of podcasts, including Just One of the Guys, Walking Dead Wednesday, The Vault of Startling Monster Horror Tales of Terror, Listen to the Prophets, and Who True Freaks. And all of these shows can be found over at 2TrueFreaks.com.
2: Speaking of Two True Freaks, if you ever feel like making a purchase from Amazon.com, please use the Amazon link at TwoTrueFreaks.com. After clicking the link, any purchase you make at Amazon will shoot a percentage of money back to the Two True Freaks website. It won't cost you anything extra, but it really helps out a great bunch of podcasters.
1: Thanks for downloading and listening, and come back next time for another episode of Parallel Lines, the DC Comics Tangent Universe podcast.
2: Because in the Tangent Universe, you only know the names.
1: Many thanks to Paul Spataro for providing this episode's intro. Paul is part of the 2 True Freaks Network... Where he co-hosts "Listen to the Prophets" alongside this show's very own Sean Engel, and also co-hosts "Back to the Bins." Be sure to check out these and more at twoTrueFreaks.com.